Good morning. Hear these words from Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is our text for the day. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went, and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it, and many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you again to say thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us here today as the church to worship you to sing to you, to praise you. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to your word. And we pray that as we study uh, this passage, the scriptures here, pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see and understand and receive your word. God, we want to hear from you. We want to be changed. We want to grow to become more like you. So would you take this time and use it for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, you can join me in Mark chapter 11 if you have not done so already. Uh, My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, welcome. I'm really glad that you're here, and every time we come together as a church on a Sunday, we take time to look to the Bible, to read it, because we believe God has spoken to us and to the world. He's made himself known through the scriptures. And so we get to study it and read it together. And uh, this is week two now in our series, Walking Through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four main accounts of the life of Jesus, his teachings and his miracles, and of course, his death and resurrection. And so together, we're reading the book of Mark, which we actually started last fall in chapter one and just kind of section by section worked our way through and now we're jumping back in where we left off at chapter 11. We got through chapter 10 so here we go and the passage we're looking at today that we just read, it's such a cool passage. I really hope that, that together we get to see how special it is and exactly what's going on. And as, as we prepare to do that, uh, we know that any good story has a sense of drama or suspense or building tension and anticipation, right? Think about the shows that you love to watch or the movies that you enjoy or the books that you read, the, the story might start off kind of slow, but it, it hooks you and it builds and it builds and the plot continues and it starts to uh, twist and turn and keeps you engaged because you're wondering, how is this all going to end, right? It's leading towards some big finish, some dramatic ending that you're looking for. How is this all going to get resolved? The stories that we love all do this. One example that comes to mind is, the Lord of the Rings, 
one of my favorites. Maybe I talk about it too much out here. I don't know, but we're going to talk about it today. The second movie, The Two Towers, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. At the end of that movie, you know, there's the big battle scene at Helm's Deep. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to try and summarize it really quickly for you here so we're all on the same page, okay? The, the good guys, uh, the people of Rohan, are out and they're being like attacked and the bad guys are coming after them. So they're like, okay, we've got we to gotta leave town and we've got to go to our fortress. And so they go to their fortress. It's called Helm's Deep. It's like carved into the side of the mountain. It's supposed to be their, their stronghold where they can be there. And they're like, the bad guys won't be able to break through. We're going to be good. And so they, they book it. Men, women, children, everybody leaves town and they go to their fortress. And then they get word that this uh, army of bad guys, they're not even humans, they're like orcs and, and evil creatures and things, are coming to kill you. Like this army has been raised up and their purpose is to come and destroy you. And so you see, the, I mean, the, the movie shows you like these big bad guys with their swords and they're all grisly and they're, they're marching towards where the good guys are in their fortress. And you're like, oh, baby something's about to go down. And then the, the good guys are kind of amassing their forces, right? Like Aragon, if you remember, they thought he was dead and he's like this big warrior guy. He comes back and they're like, sweet, he's here. He can help us fight. And then elves show up and they're like, hey, we want to fight with you, good guys. And you're like, awesome, the elves are here and they're giving like swords to like their young boys and even young men who don't know how to fight. But they're like, we need everybody we can get because all these bad guys are coming. And then they see the good guys, they're looking out and they see in the distance the army approaching the bad guys and they got torches so you can see the torches off in the distance it's intense night begins to fall the bad guys are getting closer and closer and you're watching and you're like oh baby here we go and they stop just a, a little bit uh, away from the fortress and they're staring each other down the good guys and the bad guys and then thunder and lightning no joke come and rain starts pouring down and the music starts building you're like this is about to be intense oh my gosh and then the king looks out at the bad guys they start chanting they're like pounding their spears into the ground. They're roaring. They're vicious. And he has this great line. The king looks at all that and he says, so it begins. And you're like, oh, baby, here we go. All this buildup. And then this epic battle scene, right? But the buildup, the tension of something is coming. And this it, isn't just with war movies or battle scenes or whatever. Any good story has drama intention that hooks you and builds and builds until there's some kind of resolution. And the same is true of Mark chapter 11. Okay? This passage that we just read, it's phenomenal the way the tension is building. And maybe you recognize this passage that I read to start the morning. Uh, it's traditionally read on Palm Sunday. Uh, it's when Jesus and his band of followers enter the city of Jerusalem one week before Easter Sunday, just a few days before his death on a cross. And then what follows, of course, is his resurrection. But this is the beginning of really the last week of the life of Jesus on earth. It's the beginning of the end. And throughout the book of Mark, there's been this building tension. Like Jesus is running around uh, saying pretty incredible things, doing pretty 
incredible things. People are starting to uh, realize, like, this, this guy is something special. He's unlike anything we've seen before. He's got this following. He's had these run-ins with the religious uh, Jewish leaders in town, and it's all building and building. You're like, something is going to come from this. Something's got to happen. And now he's, he's heading to Jerusalem and entering the city, and you're like, showdown's coming. Like, something big is about to happen. And, and I want us to see that this morning. And I hope that uh, we will really grasp uh, the gravity of what's going on in this text. It takes work, though. Don't, don't let anyone ever tell you that reading the Bible is boring. It's not. It's fascinating. But it, it does take some work, right? Because we're reading it from a couple thousand years later, and it's a different culture, different language. And so we can't, it, sometimes we can just read it at face value. And maybe you, as I was reading it this morning, you were like, okay, like Sounds cool, but it doesn't mean a lot to me. But let's jump in together. I want to show you some of the details and what's going on here and see really what it's trying to communicate for us, okay? Sound good? All right. So first, start here, verse 1. Notice where all of this is taking place as they approached Jerusalem. Okay, Jesus and his followers heading into the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. It was the center of religious life for the Jews. It was the center of political life for the Jews. And it was the center of their hope for a Messiah. They were thinking a king is going to return, a savior is going to come, and he's going to establish the kingdom of God, and he will rule from his throne in Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem was the center. This is where it's all going to go down. And so now we see Jesus the Messiah, who's claiming to be the king, returning to Jerusalem, the city where the king is supposed to reign. You're like, here we go. All right, Jesus is coming back to his city. Great, next. When is this all taking place? It's at the time of Passover. The text doesn't give us that detail, but from other gospels and elsewhere in the book of Mark, we can gather that this is all taking place at the time of Passover, which was a feast, a a celebration for the people of God, the Jewish people. They would remember that God was their Savior, that God was the one who rescued them from slavery, right? Maybe you've heard the story of Moses and the Exodus and Pharaoh and let my people go and part in the Nile and all that. Uh, That was uh, hugely important in uh, the mind of a Jewish person in the first century. That was part of their history. They looked back at how God brought them out of slavery and gave them freedom and rescued them. And so at the time of Passover, it was this celebration where they would remember that and people would flock to Jerusalem and the population of the city would swell and there was this kind of hype and buzz in the air as people were celebrating, remembering that their God was their deliverer and their rescuer and their savior. And it was at this time of year especially that they would be thinking, man, there are these Romans in power around us right now, these Romans that are kind of oppressing us. Maybe this is the year that the king will return, the Messiah will come, and God will rescue us again and throw off these Romans that are cramping our style so much. Right? Keep in mind of what we talked about last week, if you were here. We talked about how the people of God were waiting for a Messiah, an anointed one, this divinely appointed leader, a king, to come and rescue his people and bring God's kingdom. And throughout the Old Testament, there were all these promises scattered. One of them 
Uh, you might recognize from something we read around Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And sometimes we stop there, but the very next verse, verse 7, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. There's promises in the Old Testament that had not been fulfilled yet. The people of God were were waiting for who is this child that will be born, that will reign on the throne of David and bring this kingdom of justice and peace. It hasn't happened yet. So the people were still waiting. And then we see in the first half of the book of Mark, if you were uh, following along with us, Jesus comes on the scene in chapter 1 announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. As he comes on the scene, the the kingdom is here. And then he starts doing these miracles and teaching with authority and showing himself to be that Messiah, fulfilling these Old Testament promises. Up to the point where last week the disciples, they they get it. It's like, Jesus, it's you. You're, You're the king. You're the one we've been waiting for. So we have the king returning to Jerusalem, the city of the king during Passover, the time of year when the people would be most looking for their king. They're like, oh, baby, here we go. It's building. There's more. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Which would be a valid question. Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Okay. I've always loved these couple verses. Such an interesting little exchange with this colt, this young donkey. It, It seems a little shady at first, doesn't it? Like, this is a little odd, Jesus. He's essentially saying, hey, guys, go. I want you to go up ahead to the next village. Okay, we're heading there. But what you're going to find is this donkey. It's not ours. It's tied up there. But I want you to take it and bring it here because we're going to use it. And if anyone asks you, just say, hey, Jesus needs it, and they'll be cool with it. You're like, what? Like, seems so very strange. Like, what would Jesus do? I guess, WWJD, Jesus would tell you to go take someone else's property when you need it. Like, just go and use it. It doesn't matter. It's like, this is so... <laughs> So weird. Jesus. Uh, what's going on here, though? A couple things. One, he's, he's doing what a king would do. Right? A king is someone who can say, fetch me my colt. Bring me my war horse. We have work to do. The king makes use of whatever he wants. It belongs to him. He doesn't have to ask permission because he's the king. It's a royal privilege to be entitled to whatever you need. So go get my horse. We got work to do. And you're like, oh, here we go. He's asking for his war horse, although it's a colt. It's a young donkey, but that's, uh, you, get, you get the point. Also, the text tells us no one has ever ridden this animal before. Interesting. See, it was, it was a king who had the privilege of breaking in their own horses. So I want the horse that has not been ridden before. I don't want some used donkey from a greasy used donkey salesman down the street. No, I want my own animal that no one has ever ridden before. That's what kings 
get to do. It hasn't belonged to anyone else. It's like, oh man, the king coming to the city of the king. At the time, people were looking for the king, fetching his animal to ride in on a king as a king would. And you're like, oh, oh baby, here we go. There's more. Verse 4, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. They untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing? And tying that colt, they answered, as Jesus had told them, hey, Jesus needs it. And the people let them go. Verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, here again, another detail maybe we could overlook, this whole thing with the cloaks. Seems a little strange. They throw them first on the animal for Jesus to ride on top of, and then they throw the cloaks before Jesus as he's passing by on the road. Again, this, we don't do this sort of thing today, really. I mean, no one I know says, hey, we have company coming over for dinner, so honey, how should we welcome them? How can we make them feel extra special? Kids, grab the coats. Empty the closets, throw them out on the lawn. we got to let them feel special. Empty it all out. Let them know that they're welcome here. No, no. Does anyone do that? A few? Okay. So, no, you get it, though. I mean, for us, that's, like, that's really weird. But, again, let's understand the background, what's going on in the ancient world. This was something that had happened before in Israel's history. In the book of 2 Kings, in the Old Testament, chapter 9, Cloaks were tossed on the road before a king to show honor, to pay tribute, to welcome this king that was entering the city. And so they were passing these cloaks down as they came by. It was a way to welcome a king. There's more. The text says, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Branches, where we get the idea of palm branches, palm Sunday, why it's called that. People are spreading these, these branches on the road. Again, something that we don't really do today, but these branches could be used in the entrance ceremony of a king. They were a symbol of Jewish identity and, and pride and nationalistic hopes. And so they're placing these branches in front of the king. And so you're thinking, oh my goodness, the king is arriving to the city of the king at the time of year when people would most be looking for the king, riding his animal as a king would, with cloaks and branches before him to welcome this king. I like, guess something's going down here. In verse 9, those went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're crying, Hosanna, which means save us or oh, save. It's a, it's a cry to God for deliverance. God, rescue us. God, save us. And so they're yelling this at Jesus, recognizing Jesus is the one, the deliverer. He's, he's arrived. Then verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The kingdom of our father David. The people of God, the Jews, looked back at the reign of David as a sort of golden era in their history, one of stability and prosperity and growth for the kingdom. And after the time of David, things kind of went south. We won't get into the details there, but they were these promises in the Old Testament of someone who would come from the line of David and restore his throne and his 
kingdom to be a blessing to the people of God and all the world. We see this throughout the Old Testament, but especially in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, someone after David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This also connects back to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God promises David to raise up an heir to his throne who will rule forever and ever in God's kingdom. So do you see what the people are saying in Mark chapter 11? Saying the kingdom's here. The king's arrived. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. This is God fulfilling all those promises. Here we go. He's returning to his city. Maybe the most striking part about all of this is if you've been reading through the gospel of Mark with us or maybe on your own, you've noticed these places where, where Jesus tells people to keep things secret. Like he'll, he'll perform some kind of miracle, like change someone's life, do some, some incredible thing, and then he'll be like, yeah, don't, don't tell anyone about that. You're like, what? Like, are we supposed to sh- like share, spread that message? Like, why would Jesus say that? And it seems like what he's been doing throughout the book is, is trying to keep the word from getting out until the right time. Right? He wants to, on his terms, announce his arrival. And so he doesn't want people to uh, kind of leak the message out and then misunderstand what it actually means for him to be the king and for them to get worked up into some kind of frenzy. And so he says, hey, keep it on the DL until the time is right. Then I'm going to make it known to everyone. And so as we look at Mark 11, you notice how public this is. No more hush, keep it quiet. It's, hey, we're entering Jerusalem quite publicly. Crowds, branches, cloaks, people crying out, Hosanna, the kingdom is coming. Here we go. It's quite the spectacle. And so put it all together. What do we see? We see Jesus, the king, returning to Jerusalem the city of the king, at the time of Passover, when people would be looking for the king. He's saying, fetch me my colt. We've got work to do like a king would do. Branches and uh, cloaks are tossed before him as they would do to honor a king. People are crying out, Hosanna, and announcing the return of David's kingdom. All of this is saying, do you see, the time is now. It's go time. There's this showdown about to happen. Jesus is coming. The king is here. He's going to take up his throne and toss out the bad guys. We're going to have a party because the king is ready to rule and to reign. We're going into the city. Oh, baby, here we go. Can you feel it? Maybe we need a few more cups of coffee to really get it. Or uh, It's a little early. I understand that. But if we were there, I just want you to see, if we were there, in this scene, if we were experiencing these events, that's, that's what would be going on. Or as a first century reader will be reading this, they say, oh my goodness, something big is about to happen. Like this, this is ridiculous. Here we go. So let's read what happens. Here we go. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem. Yeah, baby. He went into the temple courts. Yeah, he did. Here we go. He looked around at everything. 
But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Read it again. He, he, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Isn't that strange? All this buildup. Where's the king's welcome? Where, where's at least the, the showdown with the religious leaders or with, with the Romans or something? I mean, he's in the temple. He's in the center of religious life and worship. There's no party. There's no celebration. It's like they don't even notice him. He just looks around. Nothing happens. Then he leaves. I mean, this passage is called the triumphal entry, but it seems very non-triumphal. There's nothing happens. I mean, it would be like that battle scene we talked about to start the morning, the Lord of the Rings, the build-up at Helm's Deep, and the rain, and the chanting, and ah, and then they just all would say, hey, you know, it's kind of late. We should probably all just go home before the battle starts. You say, what? That's not how this is supposed to go. It's deeply ironic. And so it leaves us with a couple questions. The first is what did you expect to happen? What did we expect to happen? I mean, Jesus all along has been talking about rejection, talking about suffering, talking about death. And I think that sometimes we will hold out hope that maybe he wasn't serious about all that. All that suffering, all that death. Maybe he was just kind of joking or maybe preparing us for the worst, but it's not really going to come and ha- not really going to happen. And so maybe the kingdom is going to come in power like we hoped it would. And he's going to arrive in military might and throw off the Romans and establish his earthly kingdom here and now with victory and ease and comfort for all of us. But Jesus says, haven't, haven't I told you the way this is going to go? Haven't I explained that I will be rejected and ignored, that I will suffer and die? Yes, I'm the king, but what kind of king are you expecting? This also makes us wonder as the readers, anyone who's read it uh, from the first century until now, it causes the reader to wonder, are we welcoming the king? Have we welcomed King Jesus into our lives? Because right? we look at the city of Jerusalem, and he's, he's saying, I'm here in all these different ways, in the city that should welcome him, should celebrate him, should worship him. They don't. And they ignore him. I mean, what a great irony. The king returns to the city of the king, and nobody notices. Verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts, looked around, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. See, are we, are we in danger of missing it as well? Of not noticing the arrival of the king? I think so many of us can often be 
quite busy with life, and we have our priorities placed in such a way that we don't always acknowledge Jesus. We don't always recognize him as the king, just like those in Mark 11 in the city of Jerusalem in the first century. Maybe Jesus enters the temple and either they don't even notice or see him, or maybe they do see him and they just kind of shrug their shoulders. Oh, cool. Glad you're here, I guess. I'm just going to go live my life over here and focus on this, right? Isn't it so easy for us to get distracted? So many things that take our attention. We pursue entertainment and ways to kind of numb ourselves and focus on all kinds of different things and pursuits that we think are more important than Jesus and his kingdom. And so some of us even say, are uh, following Jesus is a priority for me, or following Jesus is a priority for my family, until something more important comes along, of course. And then maybe we'll focus on that, and that thing will get more of our time, or more of our passion, or more of our energy, and more of our devotion. And so Jesus kind of just becomes a hobby for some of us. Not even a good hobby. Not even a hobby that like we love and are passionate about. Like, we're going fishing every weekend. Like not, you know, kind of like a hobby that we kind of forget that we even have sometimes. Like we'll, you know, weave a basket every couple months or something. And like that's, I don't know if any of you have basket weaving as a hobby, but you know, you, the idea. It's not something we're jazzed about. I mean, think about that. How many of our decisions get made without the filter of King Jesus, right? Jesus is the king. He's my Lord, my Savior, my authority. He's, he's the king of the world and the universe. How many of us run our decisions through that grid? What will please him? What would he have me do with my time, my resources, my energy? How would he have me live? Instead of just saying, well, what, what do I want to do? What's important to me? So do we recognize Jesus, the king? And, and notice this as well. What's so interesting about this is that uh, the people around Jesus were doing religious stuff, right? He, I mean, he's, he's in the temple, right? Walked into the temple, he's looking around, it's at the time of Passover, so there's all kinds of activity and sacrifices and, and things going on in the temple. It was probably hustling and bustling, even though it was late in the day, there's all kinds of activity. They're doing religious stuff, but they don't recognize Jesus, how, how telling is that? How, how scary is that? That it's possible for us to kind of jump through the spiritual hoops, do the church thing, talk kind of spiritual, sound kind of spiritual, maybe even feel kind of vaguely spiritual, maybe for a short time, maybe even for a number of years. We're kind of doing the, the religious thing, but we can still miss Jesus. We don't actually get the heart of the matter, and that's welcoming and following Jesus in our lives, right? Isn't it so easy for us to, today, I mean, just talk in kind of vague spiritual terms, right, and sound kind of spiritual about God and God's good and God loves me and whatever, and not that those things aren't true, but do we ever really look at Jesus and celebrate him as our king, as our savior, and really lift up the name of Jesus and put him at the center of our lives? This is a challenge. This is somewhere that I, I sometimes struggle, and I'll notice myself like doing 
spiritual things or religious things or churchy type things. I mean, now, but even before I was a pastor. And, but you can get to the end of that sometimes and, and look back and say, man, was I, was I really walking with Jesus? Like, did I really love Jesus? Was I really aware of him and, and wanting to serve him? Or was I just kind of doing religious stuff? Again, the hope of our church is not just to get you to devote some of your spare time to some kind of pseudo-spiritual subculture, get you to jump through some religious hoops and uh, do some things, make some friends. Uh, our goal as a church is to point you, point us to Jesus, right? to help us see Jesus as the king, as the savior of the world, as the glorious one who came to rescue us. And so we worship him, right? Worship, connect, grow, go. It starts with worship. Jesus. So that's what we're about, right? And so if, if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I just I guess I enjoy kind of general spiritual talk and Matt makes a joke every now and then and that's kind of funny, but there, there's not a, a, a love for Jesus growing in your heart, then, then I would say, uh, I'm not doing my job well if we miss that point. It's about Jesus welcoming him. And we see this in the text that he's, he's our king, but he's also our savior. Right? This is the hope of the gospel that the rest of the scriptures point to, that Jesus comes, he would, he would go to the cross, and he would suffer, be rejected, and die for us. He would take the penalty of our sins, the judgment that we deserve, the death we deserve, so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God, adopted into the family of God, given new hearts and his spirit placed in us. But the cross is the hinge of it all, right? Jesus comes in authority and power and he comes to die. So I don't want you to leave this morning missing the heart of the gospel. Our king came to suffer. Our king came to die for us so that we could have life and forgiveness. And so if you're here this morning and that's, you've never responded to Jesus, you've never put your trust in him, I would encourage you to let today be that day that you say, yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I want to follow you. would love to talk with you after the service. would love to. Uh, to share with you more about that. I'm sure if you're here with someone, they would love to talk with you about that as well, making that decision. And it's just so tragic sometimes because we look for life in all these different places, right? It's not that we like ignore Jesus uh, because we just want to go and be miserable, right? It's like we, we think that life is found in so many other places. We're going to find rest or healing or or joy, or fulfillment in life. Like, we're all looking for those things, and many of us are, are just are hurting and, and, and broken or discouraged. We need hope. We need joy. And so we're, we're trying to find that. But, but Jesus, as the king, shows us that he comes to bring those blessings. He's the one who can give true life and healing and hope for us all, right? A good king would establish peace and justice and flourishing in his kingdom, and so it's not that Jesus is just this authority figure that says, hey, do what I say. It's uh, Jesus as king brings blessings for all those who live in his kingdom. Right? A good king would mean prosperity for the people who live in his kingdom. And Jesus has done just that, both now and 
forever. So the question for us is, will we, have we, welcomed the King? So it's my hope that we would be a church that is not like Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11, but that we would be a people that welcomes the King. And to close this morning, uh, we're going to do something a little different. I mean, we're going to sing. We always do that, but we're going to sing a Christmas song, which, hear me out. Don't just walk up and leave you. Hear me out. Normally, I am a hardliner with Christmas music. I'm like, no Christmas music before Thanksgiving, right? Like, if it comes on in the house, I'm like, turn it off. It's on the radio, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to Christmas music in, in March or in July, like some of, some of you people maybe do. I don't know. I just, I don't, I'm like, let Christmas have its season, right? December, let Thanksgiving have its own time, and then start it. But, 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 the song we're going to sing today fits so well with what we've been talking about. It's a Christmas song, but if you look at the lyrics, really, it uh, could be sung whenever, year-round. And so we're going to do that today, even though it'll remind you of Christmas. I pray that you would uh, jump in and, and sing with your whole hearts, because it really is a way to say, Jesus is the King, and we're going to welcome Him with joy. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do that. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And Jesus, we, as a church, we welcome you. We say, you are our king. Our allegiance is to you. You're our savior. We thank you. We praise you. And with joy, we sing to you now and pray that you would take our lives, shape us, help us follow you for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. this time the offering plates are going to come by so if you filled out the card today you can drop that in the offering plate and then uh, if you're visiting today please don't feel an obligation to put anything in there that's a way that we give back as an act of worship once you've made fbc your church home joy to the world the lord is come let us
close with Jesus this morning.
Amen. Well, it's been a joy to worship with you. So glad that you've been here. Just a reminder, if you're interested in knowing more about small groups, the tent on the grass is the place to go. We'd love to chat with you there. Otherwise, go in peace, believing the gospel that Jesus, the King, has come and brought salvation for all who trust in him. We'll see you next Sunday.